Our text this morning is actually found in the Gospel of John, in John 17 and verse 3, and it says this, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We said that today is the Reformation Day in remembrance of that, and the Reformation was really a great return and a battle for the truth and for the Scriptures, the Word of God, and for what the gospel actually was and is. And often it is said of church history that we stand on the shoulders of giants, and that is true. And uh, we can delight in what the Lord has done in the past, but it teaches us lessons for the present. And uh, those 500 years or so ago, we know that a German monk named Martin Luther started a protest that exploded into a worldwide movement. And on October the 31st, 1517, he would nail a list of 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, which challenged all the corrupt practices and the works-based religion that was the Catholic church. And uh, those points were found and copied and printed, and they spread throughout Germany and Europe in a matter of weeks. And uh, Luther became an overnight hero And the Reformation, which had been bubbling under the surface, now broke out in fullness. And Luther himself had been struck with the power of Romans 1.17, where it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And Luther would be brought to know Jesus Christ for himself, and he would be brought to see that this salvation, this deliverance, was a gift for the guilty. It was a gift of God for the sinner, not a reward for the so-called righteous. He came to see that man is not saved by his good works, but by trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so justification by faith alone became the central cry of the Reformation, and the light of the gospel broke through And errors that had kept people in the darkness of superstition and religion were exposed. Now, there are many who say, well, what has that got to do with us? Well, I was reading through, and someone put it like this. It was very helpful. That in some ways, Luther's day is just like our own day. We live in a time when lots of people have an opinion about the Bible, and even though most of those people have never actually picked up a Bible to read it, And like many of us, the times of the Reformation, the people were trusting the the thought leaders, those who directed things of the day, and they were listening to what was being told to them about what was in the Bible and what the message was and whether or not to believe it rather than actually seeking it for themselves. And we live in a day where that is the case. Through media and all sorts of things, a certain impression is given about what Christianity is. And often it's degraded and demeaned and all the rest. But Luther was one of those actually in the Bible, reading the Bible. And what he found there would change his life. And even though he was in religion, as it were, even though he was a monk, he hated the God of the Bible. He had this struggle going on in his life. But when he came into the Scriptures, and as God began to work in his life, things began to make sense. And God began to make sense. The significance of Jesus, who he was, and what he had done became clear to him. 
And he began to see the answer to his deepest question, which was, how could evil be overcome? How could his own evil, his own sin be dealt with? And he began to see and found out that actually he couldn't fix that problem himself. He needed someone outside of himself to help him. He needed a savior. And Jesus is the savior that he needed because Jesus is the only savior. And this, this truth changed his life and it would change the world and impact across the, the globe. And the Protestant Reformation dealt with the whole issue of what is true. And also it dealt with the fact that God's word is the ultimate authority in this world. And that it is only in the life and the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection that we can find deliverance and hope. It's the only basis on which sinners like you and me can be accepted with a holy God. And God worked through ordinary men like Luther and others like John Calvin to unleash this mighty gospel work and to come back to what the truth of Jesus Christ actually was and is. In fact, one of the theses that Luther nailed on that door, number 62 if you're interested, says the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and the grace of God. And so as they rediscovered this, as God enabled men to see the truth and to proclaim it, layer upon layer of man-made teaching and tradition and error and practice, which had obscured the truth, needed to be blown away. And there needed to be a return to the truth of the word of God. And that is summarized, of course, in what is known as the, the five solas, summarized this biblical truth and gospel treasure. So scripture alone, the Bible alone being the, the final and sole authority in all matters of life and godliness, in knowing God and living for God, we look to the scripture. We must always look to the scripture. And then grace alone and faith alone. Salvation is a gift of grace. It's God's work. It's God's intervention. And it's received through faith alone. It's not by works. We come with nothing in our hands and we look only to the shed blood and the merit of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And Christ alone. There's no other mediator between God and sinful humanity than Jesus Christ. It is only in him that we can be saved, only through the work of the cross and his resurrection, only in him can we know God. And all of these things are to the glory of God alone. All of life can be lived. Everything we do can be done for the glory of God. And that's a wonderful thing because, as one says, therefore there are no little people, there are no little places, because when we live life, all of it for the glory of God, what we do matters. Truly and ultimately, in the service of the glory of God, there is nothing little at all. And you know, you might feel as though you're in a place, and, well, you know, what am I doing? Well, where the Lord has set you, doing what you do, if you do it to his glory, that is significant in his sight. And you can please him there. And the Reformation was God working mightily to transform what seemed a hopeless and a dark situation. And it gives us hope because the same God that worked then can work now. And we need to believe that. 
And the gospel rediscovered at the time of the Reformation is the same gospel that we proclaim today because it is the unchanging gospel of God. And that's why we come to our text this morning in John 17, 3, because in this verse which comes in this remarkable uh, prayer of the Lord Jesus, we have a summary of what the gospel is. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And it's such a, a wonderful verse, it's a precious verse, has been to the people of God through the ages and certainly to some of the reformers, not least John Calvin. Now, there was never those types of question-answer interviews with Calvin, so that he never got asked what his favourite verse was. But this is one that he mentions again and again in his sermons and in his commentaries, in his writings, because it's the verse that defines his deep conviction concerning the gospel and the Christian life. And that might surprise you because, you know, whenever the name of Calvin is mentioned, you know, if anybody knows anything about Calvin, or it must be predestination, or it must be some verse from Romans, or the rest. But you see, the heart of Calvin's teaching, the heart of the teaching of the Reformation, the heart of what we preach today, and the heart of the teaching of the Scriptures is all about knowing God. Knowing God through Jesus Christ what it is to know him and to walk with him and to be right with him and to receive eternal life and the fact that this is a gift of God's grace. Calvin says of this verse, almost every one of the words has great weight. And the truths of this verse, they're vital for us to grasp if we are to know what it is to be a real Christian according to the Bible. And that which was declared in the Reformation and what we declare today it's interesting, in Geneva, when these things were taking place, to help people understand, even from children up, Calvin designed what is called a catechism, a series of questions and answers to convey the truth of the Bible. And towards the end of the catechism, there is this question. It's question number 300. What are we to conclude from all these matters that have been treated by us? So matters about God, about what it means to be saved, about the church. And the answer is this, what truth itself teaches, and I propose right at the beginning, this is life eternal, to know the one true God as Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent, I say to know him in order that we may offer to him the honor and worship that he is due, so that he is not only Lord to us, but also our Father and our Savior that on our side we are his children and servants, and accordingly we dedicate our lives to display his glory. And so John 17.3 really brings together all of this and explains how we are brought to know God, what it is to understand ourselves, and our need to be given what we lack and what we cannot do for ourselves. And knowing this isn't just getting the facts right, or understanding certain things, this knowing is a believing. It's a matter of faith. It's trusting so that our minds understand the truth, but it transforms us so that our hearts are, are captivated by the truth, are gripped by it. You know, Jesus says a little bit later on in verse 8 of John 17, I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. You know, nothing which relates 
to God can be known properly apart from faith. And God-given faith gives that, that grasping of the truth. And here in our text, we have the truth that we need for eternal life. And the command, the call is to believe in Jesus Christ and through him to know God. Not just theory, but the reality. Not just something that's, that's intellectual, but something that is spiritual and true. Not something passive, but something that is active, that is living, and that is at work in us. And the Lord Jesus Christ summarizes the reality of this. So what is the gospel? Well, the first thing he says is this. The gospel is to know eternal life. To know eternal life. You know, sometimes we can be portrayed as lifeless, as joyless. And, you know, the reality is that sometimes we don't do anything to, you know, hit back against that stereotype. And that's unfortunate because we should be anything but because here is life, eternal life. It's a wonderful thing. It should thrill us. You know, what is life? We live in a world that is temporal and passing away. And though there are good times, generally this life is short and often it's full of trouble as well. But the gospel is that life in this world isn't the end. There is eternity. And we all face eternity, and it will either be an eternity in life and glory or eternity in hell and punishment. And Jesus came to give this eternal life to those who will believe, because in Christ there is true life which begins now and lasts forever. In fact, John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, and that they have it more abundantly. He says the true life is found in him and that this life will never end but will ever be increased and strengthened because it's his life in us. And the one who believes will, will grow in faith by the grace of God, will know more of the fullness of life of the Spirit works and leads and ultimately will be led to the glory which is to come. The life that Jesus promises is in total contrast to the spiritual death in which all humanity finds itself. People move and they function, but their souls are bound. They are dead in sin, and they are in rebellion against God. They are literally dead men walking, as we read in Ephesians 2. And that is our state until God comes to us and breaks in with his mighty power and gives us life. And sadly, the Bible says that those outside of Christ don't appreciate the state that they're in. They're blind to it. They have no idea about how close they are to eternity. You know, maybe that's you this morning. Psalm 49 puts it like this. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity approve their sayings. In other words, people just live as though this is it, that they'll be here. And they live with very little thought to the future as though the time in this world will never come to an end. And when death does encroach on them, when someone dies around them or something like that, you know, people don't want to think about that. They want to move on from that. They don't like to speak about it. It's always awkward or uncomfortable because people set themselves up for this life only. 
You know, you see it in the desire of people to have things, to fill their lives with things. And the mantra of so many in the world is, you know, the richer you are, the more you have, the more experiences that you have, well, the happier you will be. And so there is a perception that what really matters is, is what you've got. But then when it's weighed in the face of eternity, well, you know, it becomes very futile, foolish. It's true, isn't it? You know that, that saying, you can't take it with you and you can't. But for the Christian life in this world, it can be often difficult, but, but God promises to his people the eternal glory and the reward of the life to come. And when you put the attractions of this world against that, the world soon loses its pull. Now, Calvin speaks on that Psalm, Psalm 49, and he says this, there is a higher lesson that is taught by the psalmist, that even though as God's providence of the world is not presently apparent, you know, in other words, sometimes we, we struggle to see how God is in control, we must exercise patience and rise above the suggestions of worldly sense shouldn't listen to the world. It's our duty to maintain a resolute struggle with our afflictions, however severe they may be, and that it's foolish to place happiness in the enjoyment of such fleeting possessions as the riches, honors, or pleasures of this world. In other words, we shouldn't put all our hope and trust in what is here because there's so much more to come. And the eternal life that God promises begins with a life lived now out of faith and filled with love for God and for our neighbor. And the life of faith always looks to the promises of Christ and the truth of the word. It sees the experiences of life in the light of the word of God and comes back to trust on that unchanging foundation and upon the God who does not change. And the life of love remembers that we are not the center of our lives, but that God is. And those who bear his image must fight against that love of self and realizing that it's only when we love God and when we live for him that we know that true fullness and satisfaction that we desire. And this eternal life will be brought together in the end in the blessing of the new heaven and new earth in where there'll be no more tears and no more pain and no more sin and no more death. It's a glorious thing. And God will be forever present in his glory with his glorified people. There will be a world of righteousness in which the Lamb of God will be the light. We cannot imagine the full splendor of all that this will be. But by faith, we're given glimpses. We're given a foretaste, and it's our certain hope. And you know, friends, we need to think upon the beauty of the future life as revealed in Scripture. You know, there are times when life here just seems to sap us. And we, we just get so caught up in our work and in our frustrations, the struggles that we face. And even the pleasures of the present that, that often the promise of eternal life and a new heaven and a new earth just don't seem to move us or attract us as it should. So we have to come back and we have to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, the glorious future that is there for us in Christ, the glory of Emmanuel's land that is to come. And as we live life in the light of eternity, our priorities in this life change. Our approach to this life changes. 
And if we're honest, we've lost sight of that because we so much live only for now without any reference to what is to come. We are pilgrims in this life. We are heading towards our eternal rest, our eternal home in Christ, and keeping that in view helps us to keep perspective and evaluate what actually matters in the here and now. This is life in Christ. And this is what the gospel says can be ours in him. What is the gospel? It is eternal life. But also, what is the gospel? It is to know the God who is true. To know the God who is true. You know, atheism, the belief that there is no God, is not a new thing, but it has a a major prominence in our society and again in the media. And, you know, the reality is that for many people who claim to be atheists who don't believe in God, it's not necessarily a deep uh, intellectual position that they've come to. Rather, it suits the way they want to live. It's a practical outworking of what they want for themselves. It suits, it helps in the life that they want to pursue. And so if they can get rid of God, if they take the position that there's no God, it means that they can live as they want and not have to worry about any accountability or any final reckoning or future judgment. And it suits to have the focus on self and concern for self and love of self and what pleases self rather than any thought about what pleases God. Another stumbling block to knowing God is the, is the reality that there are many false gods and false religions and false idols that are around and promise to meet people's needs and make things better. You know, I find it staggering when you see what people are willing to follow and believe in and trust in to help themselves, and yet they won't have anything to do with the gospel. And even if people do have any interest in Christianity, they're often faced with something pretending to be Christianity and not actually the truth. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus calls us away from from godlessness and false gods to the true God as revealed in the Bible and taught by Jesus. He calls us to know the one true God through his word and spirit. The God who is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God who is described as the the Holy One of Israel. The God who has fulfilled his promises to send a Messiah and Savior for his people in the coming of his own eternal son, Jesus. The God against whom we have rebelled. The God through whom we alone can find forgiveness and life. The true God and the God of truth. And his truth is sure. You know, if you were to read through the Gospel of John... Truth is such an important theme in the gospel. And Jesus teaches us that this truth is liberating. It sets us free. John 8, 32, Jesus says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, this truth isn't something that's far off. It's the truth of being a follower of God. You know, Jesus, if you were to look a little bit further around that verse, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So in Christ, we are free to live in and for the true God. And so when God comes to us and he saves us, we are set at liberty, we are set free to worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, if we don't have a right view of God, 
inevitably we will have a wrong view of the worship of God. You know, we, we come to worship God in simplicity, grounded in the Scriptures, but the focus of our worship is always Him. And he has made it clear in his word how we're to worship him. And we worship in spirit and in truth, word-centered, the word read and preached and sung and prayed and seen in the ordinances. We are set at liberty, free. We are set free to follow God, to go after the Lord, to grow and to know him. You know, as we come to understand more, to know more of God, as our, our minds are engaged and renewed by the truth, then our lives will change. And change more in line with what pleases him and in accordance with his word, more like the Lord Jesus. And friends, if we're believers, we never stop learning. We never stop maturing. We never stop growing this side of glory. And sadly, too many think that they've arrived already. And they don't have teachable hearts. They're not looking to progress in their Christian faith. You know, and, and any progress that we make in the gospel you know, we need to keep making more progress. And Christ is, is with us and, you know, he, he blesses us so that when we make that progress, when we seek him and draw near to him, you know, he, he adds to us. And he adds uh, more to what we already knew and we go on with the Lord. But all of this is of his grace, a gift. As one says, he who puts his word in our hearts by his spirit is the same who daily chases from our minds the clouds of ignorance which obscure the brightness of the gospel. We have to progress and keep going to know more of God. And we should want to. We should want to know more of him and know more of his nearness to seek him. And that's bound up in the gospel. We have life and also we're brought to know God, to know the God who is true and to walk with him. And then lastly, what is the gospel? Well, it's life to know God, but to know God through Jesus Christ and to know Christ whom God has sent. You know, who is Jesus? Why did he come? You know, when we were up in Southport, I uh, dropped into to Waterstones, huge Waterstones in Southport. I always find it interesting to go and look at the spirituality section. I don't know why I do, because I always come away depressed afterwards. But I, I looked on the shelves, and you know, you see all these books opinions about Jesus. Some say, oh, the revolutionary Jesus, you know, and linking him in with communism and all the rest. Some say, oh, he's a great teacher. Some say he's a great example, and some just try to attack his character and all manner of things. But, you know, he's left no debate. It's not something to be discussed. He either is who he says he is or he's not. He claimed to be the Son of God, fully God and fully man. He is the only one who reveals the true God. He is the only mediator between God and sinful people like you and me. He's the only one who can bring sinners like you and like me to be reconciled and brought together to a holy God. He is the one who died on the cross and rose again in triumph. These are the things that true believers acknowledge and affirm and proclaim and friend, you either believe them or you don't. And you know, when you come to this text, it's very interesting because it's the only place in the New Testament where the Lord Jesus calls himself Jesus Christ. He gives himself that full title of the anointed one to whom the whole of the Old Testament looks. 
Jesus is the only son who is God come in the flesh and who makes the Father known to us. There is no other way in which God is known but in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the bright, he's the only true image of the invisible God. He is the only interpreter of the Father. He is the only guide of life. He is the light and life of this world. He is the truth. And when we lose sight of him, when we go away from him, then we lose our way. And the reformers used to emphasize the great work of Christ was to make God known and to make God known as the loving father of his people. You know, God is revealed in creation, we know that, but the natural revelation is limited in what it tells us. And so it declares that there is an almighty God, an eternal God, powerful. But we cannot know that he cares for us as a father does for his children. Creation cannot show to us the way of salvation. Salvation being delivered from sin and made right with God is known only in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know God as our Father in Jesus Christ alone. Our approach to him, our salvation has to be in Christ. Unless we know God through Christ, we cannot be saved. We cannot know God. We cannot know him as our Father. But when we're in Christ, God is our Father, and the love of God is poured out in our hearts. We are his children, and he loves us and keeps us. And when we trust in Jesus, he makes this life ours, this relationship ours. John 10, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And so through Christ, the believer is reconciled to the Father by his death. And in rising again has overcome death and secured for us this, this eternal hope. And so the whole substance of our salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. It is Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He is our salvation. And though sin is powerful, the blood of Jesus is more powerful. In Christ we are set free. And you know, it is wonderful when you think on the person of Jesus and what he has done. It's often said of Jesus that he holds those three offices, prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, Jesus has pronounced for those who believe in him an end to all our sin. You know, the Old Testament prophet was the mouthpiece of God to the people. And often the prophet would stand and say, thus says the Lord. And they would bring messages of judgment because of sin. They would bring calls of repentance. They would also pronounce the forgiveness and pardon of sin. Jesus is the true and final sufficient prophet. And he has done all that for his people. He didn't come just to proclaim the word of God. He is the word of God. And he came to this world because of the reality of sin and he proclaimed our need to repent, to turn from sin and believe in him. And then at Calvary, he proclaims full pardon and forgiveness for all who believe. That is a wonderful thing this morning. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your sin has been dealt with and it is pronounced over you, you are forgiven. He is also our priest. He offered himself as the sacrifice for our sin. Again, in the Old Testament, the high priest was the, the mediator between the holy God and his sinful people. 
And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the holy place and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And he'd sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat because without the shedding of blood, there was no remission. But that would have to be repeated again the next year. But Jesus, as our mediator and our high priest, not only offered the once-for-all sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. He gives himself. He entered the holy place that one time to sprinkle his own blood and to deal with the sin of his people forever. And so in Christ, your sin, past, present, future, has been dealt with. It has been atoned for. The price has been paid. Fully absolved through thee, through Christ I am, from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. He is our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. He rules in such a way that sin is no longer allowed to reign over his people. You know, again, the Old Testament monarch, he was there to try and bring peace and prosperity and make sure the, the nation was in a good way. The greatest Old Testament king was David. And uh, you can read in 2 Samuel, it said that he ruled in strength, that he brought justice and equity to the people. But we have a king greater than David, the Lord Jesus who came in the line of David, David's son and yet David's Lord. And he's the ruler of kings. He's the king of kings. His rule is perfect in every way and he has brought us into his kingdom. He has fought our battles for us. And in him we have a glorious future under his reign. And his reign will never end. You see, this gospel is unchanging. And the message of the reformers is the message we preach. It is life. It is to know God. And it is to know Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And the question is this. Do you know him? Is this salvation yours this morning? Are you one who has received that gift of grace? Are you one who has by faith trusted in Jesus Christ? Do you know God as your Father? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know the work of the Holy Spirit to give you this life? If you don't, you don't have eternal life. But if you do, what a cause for rejoicing this morning. That we can know that we are in God safe in his hand, both now and forever. And the future is secure. The promises of God are true. And one day we will be in that glory. May it be that we have a longing for that. And may we live whilst granted time here to exalt Christ and to proclaim his truth. Amen.